So mm-hmm. we, when you talk, you got to lean into the microphone. My breath, let me drink some of this mm-hmm. to make sure. I just burst my teeth too because I know my breath is kicking like Van Damme on mm-hmm. against Bruce Lee. <laughs> like this is my friend Joshua Manns. <laughs> a few months ago, my family and I jumped in our car and drove down to Clovis and spent a few days with him and his family. You're going to hear more from him later in the season, but I just wanted to give you a clip of our conversation to start this episode off. You'll see why in just a moment. What event? Um, The book in Atlanta. In Atlanta. Were we talking about that book? (laughs) So, so here's the story. All right. Uh, This, this is going to be the launching pad into our conversation. Mm. So Bishop Kirby calls me. I think the oh. year, yeah, I think the year is 20, 2018. My God. And I was scheduled to speak <laughs> at this conference in Atlanta. Yeah. And he goes, Benjamin, <laughs> I'm giving you a book table at the conference. So I need you to bring your books. And I said, well, Bishop, I don't have a book. <laughs> and he said, well, you better get one and have it at this table at the conference. And I said, Bishop, the conference is three weeks away. He goes, well, then you better get working because you need to have a book at that table at that conference. So I start going through my old files. I had like all these shards of books that I'd started writing. And I found one book that I had written like 14 chapters in and didn't realize I had written so much. Mm. So I went through, read through that whole manuscript, rewrote multiple chapters edited the rest, sent it off to be proofread by an editor, published the book, but I had like, how many copies did I have printed? It was at least two or 300 Yeah, it was, it was hundreds of books. Yeah. And I decided to take all of them to Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had two or three big boxes full of books. And then I had a suitcase full of books. <laughs> I forgot about <laughs> right. your suitcase, the suitcase right? broke. <laughs> so, so the boxes I had to sh- I had to you know check in, <laughs> and I get to Atlanta, and I'm at baggage claim, and little sh- pieces of books start coming out right, <laughs> and then like. <laughs> <laughs> destroyed box comes out with like books flying everywhere right the and, the, and the books weren't whole at all they were there was like half covers <laughs> missing and yeah they were bent backwards on the spine of <laughs> yeah, the they were just all effed up right <laughs> all jacked up right so i'm like gathering pieces of book <laughs> trying to reconstruct the boxes with tape it's like the loaders just chucked the boxes as hard as they could as exactly high as they could. like they didn't care at all right i don't know how i got those books from the airport <laughs> to the hotel right somehow i get them there and i set them up on this table so they give me a table and i found out when i got there there was like 60 people at this conference. <laughs> Maximum. It was a tiny conference. I'm thinking it's going to be like 500 people, mm-hmm. 1,000 people at this conference. There's like 60, six, 50 to 60 people max. Mm-hmm. The worst part was you were selling books while you were video recording, audio recording, speaking. <laughs> you were editing photos. Right, exactly, exactly. 
you set me up to work the table and people are making their rounds just you know they're going by it's almost like a little tiny little expo mm. they're going from table to table asking what the books are about mm. I had barely just finished reading the book mm. on, on the plane <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to hype you up I'm like Benjamin is one of the most charismatic speakers. You've got to read this book. It's life-changing. Uh, this structure will change your life. Uh, and they're uh, like, oh, it looks interesting. And he just put it down and walked <laughs> to the next. <laughs> and there was one speaker there who everybody was buying from. Who was that Who was that popular person? David Ireland. David Ireland. And oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember heading back to the airport with two suitcases full of books because my boxes were destroyed. <laughs> I think I might have had to buy an extra suitcase. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, I didn't want to pay an extra $200 to check the bags. <laughs> so I decided to take them all on the plane. I don't even know how you made it past the check-in. How? Because they should have weighed those boxes of books. They weighed hundreds of pounds. <laughs> it was so heavy. So now I'm 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 on the plane and I'm about to sit down. Oh man! And I have to lift this suitcase full of books and put it in the overhead compartment. And I it took every ounce of strength in my body. <laughs> and when I slid it in, I felt something tear right above my belly button on the inside and I had this deep pain in my belly button <laughs> I had an umbilical hernia from lifting those books the whole thing was just a Kadesh Barnea this was the judgment of God <laughs> it, was, it was a terrible torment right <laughs> it was horrible. right I mean I spent I spent a couple thousand dollars getting those books printed Yep. A couple hundred dollars getting them to Atlanta. Yep. And then six hundred dollars in surgery to get my 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 hernia re restored. Not to mention all the time. And I sold and I sold five of them. Yeah. I think I bought two. <laughs> <laughs> so you bought two out of the five that I sold. You just felt bad for it. Welcome to the Bout the Benjamin Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Robinson. This podcast is devoted to the concepts of identity, creativity, destiny, and how to find yours. My goal is to provide you with a refreshing stream of inspiring content designed to activate you to pursue the fullness of your destiny in God. So let's go! If you're interested in hearing more of my conversation with Josh, the entirety of our interview is now live on my Patreon page. You can find it at patreon.com slash bout the B. There's also a link in the show notes. Joining my Patreon is a way to support this channel in a very small way while simultaneously being encouraged and inspired in your journey in a very big way. I provide more personalized resources there along with a very simple coaching framework that will help you identify where you are and what your next right step might be. Join today for only $2.99 a month. But today's episode is about Justin Chan, a local Bay Area businessman who 16 years ago took over his family's oil business and turned it into a multi-million dollar enterprise. Today's episode, as you heard in the opening story, is about resilience. And Justin is an exemplar of resilience. 
I was so inspired to hear about the immensity of his struggle in the early years of his business adventures and how he was able to break through simply because he would not quit. So without further ado, let's jump right into my interview with Justin Chan. Let's go. Yeah, my name is uh, Justin, Justin Chan, and uh, I uh, run a uh, cooking oil manufacturing and distribution business uh, mm. here in the Bay Area. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, I really come from a, uh, a merchant family. Mm. You know, I'm a third generation uh, business person. Mm. Uh, and um, I... Uh, I love every minute of it. Mm. So when you say like third generation, so third generation, so your parents and then your grandparents? Yes, yes. Um, so it's it's funny, you know. My my grandfather he um, he was an orphan, mm. and uh, and this was back in Taiwan uh, when. Um, Taiwan was a uh, was colonized by the Japanese, hmm. and uh, he was a Taiwanese native, hmm. and um, unschooled, uh, illiterate, and he um, he actually worked as a janitor hmm. uh, in a um, a Japanese uh, law firm, hmm. and uh, through just a lot of self-motivation and um, uh, desire for uh, self-improvement. Mm. Uh, he, he actually learned the Japanese language um, just by working at the firm. Mm. So at the time, China as a country was closed off to the, uh, to the outside world you know, under the uh, newly inaugurated communist regime there mm. and recognizing that there uh, existed a very large uh, Chinese uh, diaspora around the world um, people who you know either uh, fled the Chinese Communist Revolution or were maybe uh, students who were studying abroad etc uh, that these were people who had a yearning mm. for their their native cuisine. Mm. And so he developed this business in Taiwan where he uh, would can uh, a lot of the um, Chinese vegetables and mm. those sorts of things. Uh, and it was really very much a, an export-oriented business. Mm. And so he... He marketed uh, these products um, across the globe. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So that, that's a, yeah. This is your grandfather. This is my grandfather. Yeah. And, wow. And so he, again, not, not a learned man, but... So he was poor, would you say? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And So uh, from poverty... From he, poverty, he, he became an, an industrialist. Wow. Yeah. So he sees this opportunity yes and says i'm going to create a product to serve them yes wow yes um you know as as with most entrepreneurs i mean his journey was one of you know multiple failures i i, I don't know 
you know, what businesses he had started before uh, that one. Mm. Uh, but there were a few that I, you know, I, um, I'm aware of, but, um, but that was the one that worked. That was the one that worked. So how early in life did you hear that story? Very early. Um, my, it's, it's really very much in my blood entrepreneurialism. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, uh, something that, um, I mean, we talked about business, you know, at the at the dinner table. Mm. I mean, for every single evening. Mm. Yeah. What did that? What did hearing that story do to you for you as a child? Um. I mean, hearing his story, uh, hearing my own father's story, which is just an entirely different journey altogether. Um. Very much inspired me. Mm. Uh, very much uh, informed what I wanted to do mm. uh, when I grew up. So, tell us a little bit about your father's story. Yeah. So, my father, he um, was really groomed uh, to uh, one day run this operation that my grandfather had built. Mm. And so, um, my Grandfather made sure that everything he himself was deprived of uh, growing mm. up, i.e. in education, mm. uh, that my father would be provided with. Mm. And so yeah. uh, to ensure that his, uh, his Chinese would be at the highest levels, you know, my, my grandfather actually hired uh, the the editor of the leading newspaper in Taiwan to be my father's tutor. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, my grandfather also wanted him to uh, be fully fluent in English. Hmm. And so the same editor would put my father through all these exercises where, you know, uh, he would be given a newspaper article and would um, be asked to translate it into English. And, oh, wow. And, and back and forth. Mm. So he would re read English articles and then translate it back into Chinese. That's so cool. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so that's, so your father grows up, your father grows up basically in an affluent, privileged yes. setting. Yes, yes. Right? So... So my grandfather had these ideas and um, uh, actually had my um, sent my father to um, study in America. Mm. Uh, my grandfather again, because you know he himself never enjoyed the benefits of, of a proper education, wanted all of his children to enjoy that. And, and so my, my father uh, landed in, in New York. Mm. Um, he, um, so he was sent here to study. Yes. Yes. By himself? By himself. Uh, but with, with my grandfather's support. How old uh, was initially, he? Was uh, this like college or was it like? Well, so initially, so back in Taiwan, uh, during those days when, uh, war between China and Taiwan, uh, seemed imminent. Hmm. And so there, uh, you know, there is a, it's, it's sort of work like conscription uh, where, uh, you know, young men, you know, in their, in their late teens would be asked to, to serve in the military. Mm. And uh, because my father was my grandfather's only son, mm. um, my grandfather didn't want that for mm -hmm. him. 
And so he uh, sent my father first to Hong Kong uh, to, to study, mm. uh, just to, I mean, I guess my dad was a, a dodger, mm. you know, and uh, so my father, he, uh, he uh, was in high school in, mm. in Hong Kong and then came to the, the U.S. for his mm. college studies. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I'm sensing that the end of that story was not that he finished his studies, returned to Taiwan, and took over the family business. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my father, he he uh, he ended up he he studied at NYU for mm. for his undergrad graduate studies, and then um, he pursued an MBA at Columbia. Mm. And when he graduated, um, my grandfather's intention was that. Um, my dad would be stationed in New York hmm. and would uh, build out the the family business there. Hmm. And my father had other ideas. Hmm. Um, he, to be a dutiful son, hmm. he did, you know, what my grandfather wanted him to do uh, on the side, but he ended up starting a, a trading business. Um, also in foodstuffs, uh, but being in New York, he, he recognized that there were a lot of different ethnic communities there hmm. who uh, similarly had a taste for their own native cuisines, hmm. and he thought that he could apply some of the things that his own father taught him, hmm. uh, and... Um, do that with uh, other ethnic groups. Hmm. Wow. So he did that in New York. He did that in New York. And somehow these trading activities were discovered by my grandfather. And <laughs> um, <laughs> my grandfather was greatly displeased hmm. and immediately summoned him home hmm. to Taiwan. And my grandfather and father... I guess hash things out, you know, over the course of a year, uh, when whereupon my father told uh, my grandfather that he didn't want to do the canning business mm. and did not want to return to Taiwan. Mm. That he liked America so much that he wanted to do his own thing mm. uh, there. Uh, when he promptly returned and relocated to San Francisco. Oh, so he didn't go back to New York. He went. He went to SF. Yes. And did he come with his dad's blessing? Uh no, no. Okay. So that was kind of a parting of ways, not so amicable. No. Okay. No. So Justin's father starts a new operation in San Francisco. He trades food products internationally. He imports foods from Europe. He trades currencies. And he especially loved cars. And his love for cars led him to the discovery of a unique arbitrage opportunity. He discovered that he could import cars from Germany and then sell them in the States for substantially less than local dealerships were selling them, yet substantially higher than the price he paid to purchase them and have him shipped over. All of these operations made him a handsome little fortune, and Justin grew up really well. But Justin's personal story begins with the family oil company, and it's to that story that we now turn.
So the oil company came to be uh, when um, my father's brother-in-law uh, emigrated to the U.S. Uh, with uh, two children in tow. Uh, my uncle, uh, that is my father's brother-in-law, mm-hmm. uh, landed here I think in his 30s, mm. uh, and uh, really uh, had no sense of what he would do uh, professionally. Uh, and he came to my father and he said, well, um, gosh, what should I do? Mm. Um, should I pursue the, the path that uh, most uh, Taiwanese emigres would take, mm. uh, namely... Should I open up a Chinese restaurant? Mm. Should I open up a, a dry cleaning business? Mm. Uh, and my father, who by that time was um, really established in his trade, um, said, absolutely not. Um, I, I have just the thing for you. Mm. We should start up a cooking oil bottling business of, mm. of all things. Mm. Uh, and um, we'd go in uh, 50-50. You know, uh, I would be a a silent partner, and you, my my newly arrived uh, brother-in-law, you know, can just run the day-to-day operations of this Mm. business. And Mm. uh, that was in 1982, so 40 years ago. Mm. So how'd it go? Uh, It went uh, well. Um, and, um, my, uh, my uncle is not really very much of an entrepreneur, uh, and had sort of very, uh, modest goals, Mm. you know, for the business. I mean, his desire was really just to put food on the table. Mm. He was a very devout man Mm. and, and actually wanted to spend, most of his time and energies uh, in ministry. Mm. So I came along in uh, 2005 um, when uh, my uncle fell gravely ill. Uh, there was no orderly uh, handoff of the mm. business. Mm. You know, the, the, the family... Um, my uncle's family, uh, you know, immediate family, and 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 my father's family. We really, um, we had no other family member had ever spent a single day uh, in the um, the operation of this business. Mm. We were really at a loss as to what to do. Um, mm. His son stepped in, but he had no real interest in really running this business. Uh, and he had bigger ambitions, I mean, mm. frankly. I mean, by, by that time, he, he had been accepted into a, a Wharton uh, MBA program. And so uh, this was when, um, you know, we had a family meeting, and um, my father and um, uh, my newly uh, widowed uh, aunt mm. sort of uh, canvassed the, um, the next generation and uh, asked... I mean, who would be willing to step in? Mm. I ultimately was the only person who had raised my hand. Mm. At the time, you know, my uncle had landed a real sweetheart client 
who probably comprised of 85% of the actual profit. Oh, wow. And uh, it was just a wonderful business, you know, mm. just a real turnkey. Uh, they didn't have the capability uh, of um, packaging a certain product um, mm. capability that we possessed. Uh, and so, you know, like clockwork, I mean, every single day, I mean, they would bring in, you know, a couple of shipments and all we would do is just package it for them. Mm. I joined the company in, in April of that year. Uh, and in October of the same year, so just six months into my tenure, uh, this company one fine day just stopped bringing in the product, mm. uh, you know, without any explanation. Mm. Uh, and... Um, you know, as as we later learned, um, they were actually building uh, their own um, manufacturing capability. Mm. And um, given my my uncle's illness, they they couldn't break it to him to tell him. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, we were immediately plunged into the red. And so I. Um, you know, I, I basically, I, I looked at, you know, what uh, our capabilities were um, at the time. And, and I had to think fast, you know, um, the, the company was, you know, at that time, uh, again, generating, you know, more than $5 million of revenue from these other activities we were doing. Hmm. And the only thing I could think of uh, at the time is, well, then... I need to just get more of this type of business. I, I need to grow uh, this other part of the business just to keep us afloat. Hmm. So yeah, so I had to um, put on my uh, salesman um, hat mm. and uh, I, uh, I I literally went door to door. Whoa. Um, like to restaurants? Not to restaurants. So... We never actually sell directly to restaurants. What will uh, the the actual channel uh, of distribution is? We'll sell to these these uh, food distributor uh, type operations. Okay, so you went door to door to these distributors. Yes, and you said, "Pitch my product to your restaurants." Yes. Uh, Did you have any restaurants at the time? Yes. Yes. So were these restaurants all Bay Area restaurants? Yes. So at that time, what percent, like when you first took over the company, what percentage of Bay Area restaurants was your company servicing? Oh, a very, very small percentage. Um, and we're talking Asian restaurants. Asian restaurants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a very, very small percentage. So, okay, so if I can get the timeline right, you take over the company... Everything's going fine because you've got this sweet deal going on with this company. Yes. And six months later, yes. you're basically your bread and butter, 85% of your profits disappears. Disappears, yeah. It's gone. So now you're like, okay, we've got to beat the streets and figure out how to how to make this thing work again. So you start going door to door to these distributors. Yes. You're like, pitch my oil to your restaurants. Yes. And they tell you. Many of them, no. Get lost. <laughs> yes. Yes. Why? 
at the time, there was another company mm. uh, in the same space who was the favored brand mm. uh, and provider mm. uh, out on the street. And I mean, we have to understand that chefs, you know, of, of um, any stripe mm. uh, are usually fiercely, fiercely loyal mm. uh, to the brands they use. Mm. And largely, there's this whole dynamic uh, among um, larger uh, Chinese restaurants. Mm. And that is, the chefs are seldom the owners of the establishments. Mm. Okay, so there's, there's always this bifurcation between ownership and the, the folks who are actually in the kitchen. Mm. And so... Uh, in these in these operations, um, chefs have no incentive mm. to ever change any of the ingredients they use, mm. 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 Uh, because if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Don't fix it. Mm. Uh, if they stick their necks out there and approve the use of some alternate ingredient, and should. Should anything go wrong, mm -hmm. uh, it's their necks mm -hmm. that are on the line. Mm -hmm. And so this dynamic uh, really caused a lot of resistance mm. uh, in our ability to convert them mm. uh, to the use of uh, our, our brands. Right. So it, it's almost like a domino effect. The chefs know that their jobs are on the line. Correct. But then the distributors also know that their jobs are like their contracts are on the line. Correct. Because if they pitch a product to a chef that causes him to lose his job, they may lose a client. Correct. So all the way down the chain, it's like if it's not broken, don't fix, don't it. fix it. We don't have a problem with our oils. So whoever this new kid on the block is, like we don't need his product. Correct. Okay. So what'd you do? How'd you get in? I mean, S what you probably did was like you go door to door i mean how long did you go door to door and get all these no's oh i mean this i mean went on for a good two years so for two years you're beating the street you're going yes. to distributor to distributor yes you're setting up meetings you're preparing presentations and you guys your company creates this oil like right yes like you're in the you guys you have like a factory or like a warehouse like a um what do you call it? Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we have a bottling facility. Okay. And, and so you're taking samples with you when you go to yes. these meetings and you're like trying to show them what you can do. And for two years, the vast majority of them are saying no. The vast majority. But but fortunately, there, there were some yeses. Mm. Uh, I think, um, you know, with repeated visits... Um, it, it softens mm. the, the heart. So you were going back to the same ones. Yes. Again, and they'd say no, and you'd come back again. Yes. And they'd say no, and you'd come back again. Yes. Uh, and, and part of that <laughs> is, you know, in a in a B2B setting. Yeah. What's B2B? Business to business. Okay. Uh, uh, as opposed to business to consumer. Yeah. Um, you realize that you really cannot afford to lose a single customer mm. or possible customer. Mm. You know, when you're a B2C, a, a business to consumer uh, business, I mean, there there are 
in excess of 300 million people in in the United mm. States alone. So you you can afford to lose mm. uh, a few here and there. Mm. Uh, but in in the Bay Area restaurant distribution business, there, uh, it, it's 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 a it's still a fairly fragmented space. Mm. But we're talking about maybe an audience of 40 to 50 distributors. Mm. So you cannot really afford to lose any one of them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So invariably, you're calling on the same people over and over again. Right, right. Which at a certain point drove you to realize that this business is untenable. Yes. And so you quit, right, and sold the business? <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. I did not arrive at that conclusion. Um, but uh, that's what the average person would have just, you know. I spent two years. I beat the streets. I did everything I could, and it didn't work. Yeah, yeah, you know. And I, I wanted so desperately for this to work. Mm. Mm. Uh, I mean, not only because. Yeah, my own family had skin in the game. Mm. Uh, but really, I mean, for myself, mm. you know, I, I really wanted to prove to myself that I could make this business successful. Mm. So you went to like 50 of these guys. How many of them said yes? Initially, gosh, maybe 25% of them. Okay. Yeah. So that's like uh, 10, 12, you know. Yeah. yeah. 12.5 of them yeah. said yes. Okay, so that's, you got like 10 to 12 new distributors. Yes. So that takes you to a place where you're afloat. Takes us to a place where we're afloat. You know, this, this business of food distribution is in itself very interesting hmm. uh, in that um, for many, this is sort of a um, a stepping stone for new immigrants. Hmm. Very, very low barriers to entry into this business. I mean, it basically just involves some grit, some determination, uh, a little money in their pockets where they could they could actually buy some inventory hmm. and a small warehouse. Hmm. Uh, and for many, uh, new emigres, uh, I mean, that's that's all that they have. You know, mm. they'll, they'll come to the United States um, as full-grown adults, um, mm. barely any language capabilities, I mean, besides, you know, their native Chinese. Mm. And so they figure, well, I mean, this is, this is one of the pathways. Mm. Uh, and so I learned very quickly that I had greater success uh, appealing to some of these folks, hmm. not the incumbents, hmm. but some of these new entrants into the market hmm. uh, because they were hungry. Hmm. Um, they were also uh, not getting any preferential treatment from my uh, crosstown rival, mm. uh, because that crosstown rival had to protect mm. his longtime customers. Mm. And so, um, 
you know, has sort of exploited that um, mm. that dynamic there. Okay. So, when last you and I had lunch, we're in San Leandro, Vietnamese restaurant, some Vietnamese restaurant, San Leandro. Yes. We're eating our bowl of pho, and you say to me, I wonder if this restaurant uses my oil. And I say to you, do a lot of restaurants in the Bay Area use your oil? You say, eh, about 40%. I said, wait a minute, 40%? You're like, yeah, from San Jose all the way up to Sacramento. I'm like, wait a minute, what? So my question is, how did you get from, I imagine, somewhere around 12% to 40%? Today, I, I think it's safe to say that for for every inhabitant of Northern California, hmm. we account for every one in five drops of oil, of hmm. cooking oil, that all the inhabitants of Northern California consume. So wait a minute, you're telling me like even if I go to the store and buy oil, yeah, yeah. Um, so the you know, all of us consume oil in uh, in in varied ways, yeah. uh, ways that we don't even realize. Uh, I mean, it's it's um, you know a night out, you know, with with, uh, with PS, you know, mm, for dinner. Mm, mm. Uh, it's um, it's a baked good that you pick up. At your favorite mm-hmm. bakery, it's right, right. Um, it's a potato chip that you consume as you're watching, you know, your favorite program on Netflix. You wow! Know? Um, so you're telling mm, me that one out of every five, five drops drops of oil that I consume comes from your factory, yes. comes from your your company. Yes, that's crazy. So how'd you get there? Like, what what was the I mean, how did you get from whatever, 5%, 3%, whatever your market share was, after those 10 to 12 distributors said yes, how did you get from there to the 40% share in mar- in restaurants to now, I believe you're even bigger than that in terms of restaurants. Mm-hmm. And you say 20% of the oil consumed in Northern California comes from you. Like what were the, what were the hurdles that you had to get, had to get over? Like one of them was getting into the restaurants, right? I mean, what did it take? I mean, it's taken seventeen years, so mm. it's it's um, time was a, a a real big um, big determinant. We realized very early on that um, distributors actually have um, very little influence in what restaurants actually use, mm. um, because it's the restaurants who say, this is the particular ingredient that mm. I would like. Mm. Um, this is the ingredient that I use to formulate my recipe. Mm. Uh, and trying to push our product um, from the distributor, which um, is intuitive because you, you would think, gosh, I mean, these are the people who are buying our products. So, mm. I mean, it's natural for us to sell to the distributors. Uh, but what, what we realize is that, well, um, the way to actually do it is to create what we call demand pull. 
Hmm. And that is to try and engage with the end user mm-hmm. and to drive demand that way, to, mm. to convert the restaurants individually mm. uh, to, to adopt our product and mm. then to have them as the distributor to utilize um, or to stock it. So how did you do that? Like once again, you had to beat the street. You had to go door to door. You had to beat the street, yeah. But this time, instead of from distributor to distributor, you went from little, literally from restaurant to restaurant. Yes, and you know, by, by this time, you know, I, um, you know, I can't take credit for that. I mean, we 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 basically brought on a sales force uh, who would undertake this uh, this work. Mm. First of all, what did you offer to the restaurants? We provided a lot of samples, mm. uh, et cetera. And, um, uh, you know, every time we would hand off a sample, um, it might mean that we'd have to sell, gosh, I mean, uh, 40 or 50 units to make up for that one sample mm. that we have handed out. Mm. Hmm. Um, so the economics of that, um, you know, if, if looked at on a spreadsheet would not make a lick of sense, hmm. you know, it's, it's, uh, far too costly, hmm. uh, and, um, but it was the only way that we could, um, make conversions. So you went to these restaurants and you gave them samples. Yes. You said, try this out. And if you like it, uh, which we know you will, mm. uh, then tell your distributor to carry it. Mm. And um, you know, if you um, you know convert to the use of our brand, then you know we would we would provide other incentives. Mm. Mm. You know, we would um, we would uh, do manufacturers rebates and mm. those sorts of things. Mm. So all of a sudden. These restaurants start blowing up the phones of their distributors going, get what's the name of your company? Marathon Packing. We want, we want, is that the name of the oil that they were asking? No, we, we, we have a number of different brands. I see. Yeah. So they're, they're calling, they're blowing up their distributors going, send us Justin's oil. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it's, um, uh, the, the phones weren't exactly uh, ringing off the hook. Uh, I mean, it, it was a very glacial Mm. Uh, process. I see. So it moved slowly, but it moved. Yes. So incrementally every day. How did the distributors take that? Um, many did not take a liking to it. Mm. Um, distributors are understandably very protective mm. uh, of their clientele. Mm. It's um, it's a very very competitive business. Mm. Uh, I mean, when you consider that, I mean, you have 50 uh, different players pursuing basically the same customer group, Mm. they become very territorial. Mm -hmm. And uh, any notion that somebody would try and go direct to their Mm. customers, you know, was not met with them. welcome or applause or anything of the sort hmm. yeah did and they communicated that to you and they communicated to that they communicated they said don't don't go uh, 
where you're not supposed to go. Mm. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we made it very compelling for the restaurants mm. uh, to to use our product, mm. um, and the distributors were really powerless to mm. Mm. Um, to change that. Mm-hmm. Right, because that I mean, what are we supposed to do? Fold? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're uncomfortable. Right. You know. Wow. So this is really about accumulation. Yes. Like, because like when I think of business success, I think of like sudden massive increase. But what you're describing to me is like seeds planted 17 years ago that you continue to water and then plant more seeds and wa- and come back to water the ones that you planted. Yes. And then you started, there were like many harvests. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? Yes, yes. Oh, that's crazy. It's a slog. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the other big hurdle was this competitor of yours. Yes. What happened there? Yeah, I mean, with this particular uh, competitor, um, they developed uh, just a tremendous following Hmm. and uh, incredible brand equity. And, uh, I mean, we were fierce competitors. Hmm. Uh, But I had such regard Hmm. for this outfit. Hmm. But from a distance, you know, mm. I, I I never, you know, in in seventeen years, uh, had the um, uh, the opportunity to um, to walk across the aisle, as it were, and 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 actually meet this uh, person. Um, but he ran a very tight ship. Mm. He had such charm, such a shrewd business person. Mm. Mm. I mean, there were so many things, you know, when when you're when you're competing against someone for uh, as long as um, uh, I have, mm. you really get to know the person from afar. Mm. Mm. Uh, and just the, the strategies that uh, they adopt. Mm. Um, and in, in his case, um, largely defensive um, in, in nature because, um, I mean, he really had most of the market to himself mm. and, you know, I, I was sort of the, um, uh, the new kid on the block who, uh, was just constantly nibbling, mm. um, at the, uh, at the margins mm. uh, of his business. And so, um, you know, I, I understood, um, why, um, he wasn't that fond of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's funny because I, um, you know, there are all these uh, always these movies. You know, you know, especially in these like um, Chinese martial arts uh, films. You know, there's always oh, the great master who not only embodies uh, the 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 qualities of a of a great master. You know, just composure and. Mm 
strength and wisdom and 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 all these sorts of things and then you know you uh you have this uh, new new fellow who who comes to town who wants to shake things up and um wants to challenge the status quo hmm. and invariably i would always root for the old man hmm. Hmm. um i've always detested Mm. the the new kid on the block mm. the challenger mm. um but here i am mm. in in that particular role and so mm. there you know it uh um and so yeah i mean uh you know in uh in in the past year i mean after after 17 years of competing against this uh this outfit um we we we've acquired them hmm. you know uh, and um you know that that's a, a long story unto itself in the years preceding this um this acquisition that that occurred just uh, four months ago hmm. uh i had made many attempts to um to reach out hmm. uh to um uh, this this hero really hmm. of mine hmm. uh and um for years, I mean, he resisted mm. a meeting with me. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I think you know one of the the most gratifying uh, things about this whole journey is, you know, I I can say now that I mean we're we're actually very good friends now. Mm. Um, I mean, shortly after you know the. Um, the transaction, you know, consummated. I mean, we we just started calling each other hmm. just out of the blue as wow. as as friends do. I mean, he calls me up on Saturday mornings, and wow. you know, and we we just <laughs> chat. You know, wow. Um, and he still very much loves the the business. Hmm. You know, wants to know. Gosh, I mean, what what sorts of things are 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 happening in this space? Wow, and. and um, know uh, he regales me with you know um all this story all these stories you know wow. from, from his past and uh and we've sort of developed this um uh, mentor mentee type relationship you know i'll wow. pick up the phone and you know i'll give him a call and i'll say geez you know i'm in this pickle here wow. i mean what would you do and you know and he'll sort of just share you know his his thoughts with me that is really cool yeah that's yeah. that's amazing. It it is and and a real blessing. Yeah. Yeah. And that, just a scripture that comes to mind is when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that is crazy that you guys are fierce competitors and now you're close friends and even a mentor mentee relationship that he literally has taken is taking all of the wisdom that he's acquired in all of the years in the business and he's giving it to you yeah you know it's it's um a couple of things that are really funny about this because you know he uh he uh was grooming his own son to mm. uh take over mm. uh this uh, this wonderful business that mm. he had he had built um over his lifetime really mm. i mean he uh uh at, at the time of his retirement, you know, he had put in 
I think he was telling me some like 45 years wow. into the business. Wow. And um, his son also, I mean, just, just had no interest. I mean, his mm. son was involved in the business for a number of years, uh, but eventually decided that it just, it just wasn't a good fit. It wasn't mm. for him. Mm. And so uh, now I'm, I mean, this might be, I mean, a stretch, but it, it's sort of, I'm sort of like the son he never had. Right, right. Uh, I, I have intense interest in this business. Mm. Uh, and uh, I share the passion that he still has for it. Mm. He loves this business. Mm. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and, and here we are. That's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Justin, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Um, this is really tremendous. It's really tremendous. What I realize is like some of the best entrepreneurs and business people that you ever would want to meet are like right around you. Yeah. But we tend to think we need to listen to, you know, s stories about guys like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. And you know what I mean? It's like yeah. the only business stories we hear are of multi-billion dollar companies. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, there's stories all around us of uh, it's just like like your story it's it's really amazing and Thank you. Uh, really inspiring